Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Lawrence Power. Lawrence is a barrister and was called to Middle Temple in 1995. Since being called, Lawrence has built a large, high-profile practice and has been head of chambers for over 15 years at Whitestone Chambers in London, specialising in commercial and aviation law. Lawrence is well known for a large number of events and talks he has participated in as a guest speaker, which reflected in his recent award from Gen Z Supporter of the Year. Lawrence received this due to his consistently going above and beyond to help young people. Lawrence shares plenty of tips into relation to the future of the bar and how to utilize the business side of the bar. So a very, very warm welcome, Lawrence. Hello, everybody. Hello, Legally Podcast, um, Legally Speaking Podcast. Uh, delighted to be with you today. Delighted to be with you, Rob. Um, and thanks for the introduction. My absolute pleasure. And before we dive into all your amazing achievements today, we must start with a customary icebreaker question here on the Legally Speaking podcast, which is, on the scale of 1 to 10, 10 being very real, how real would you rate the reality hit series Suits in terms of its reality? And if you haven't seen it, it doesn't matter. Haven't seen it. <laughs> with that we will That's move it. swiftly yeah we will move swiftly on suits. if you want to talk about suits today i'm wearing canali it's italian it's a lovely fiber knit uh and it's a cool suit for the summer so it keeps your temperature down so if you want me to talk about suits i could talk about the real thing <laughs> you could indeed but today let's talk all about you so let's start at the beginning tell us a bit about your background and your life up to being called to the bar um i'm a qualified car mechanic you can't make that up and um <clears throat> my future was very much either in engineering on the mech side or engineering on the electrical side and in the end, I, I was destined for electronic engineering and I, I studied electronics and computing. And my project, in fact, for my A-level was a handheld oscilloscope, believe it or not, for those who know what an oscilloscope is. Um, and, and that was quite a project. Uh, and it was a great thing. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's technical. It's creative. Um, you can burn yourself with the acid bath. You could drill yourself, uh, your fingers and thumbs. So there's, there's all these elements that law certainly has, hasn't got. Um, the beneficial externalities of studying electronics. Sadly, um, I was let down in my tuition by my then math teacher. I was struggling. Right. And I think many of us, uh, as students struggle, whether it's at A levels or GCSEs or degrees, um, and, you know, you want to reach out to someone. And it's difficult when you're young. Um, I tried, but regrettably, uh, my math teacher didn't really care too much if I just leave it that way, um, subtly. Um, and I, I really had to have a rethink uh, because of my struggles were so bad. I didn't think I'd get the grades to go to do um, electrical engineering at uni. Um, I was doing law at that time as an optional subject as a 16 to 17-year-old. Um, law was kept back because they felt under the age of 16 dealing with crime and murder and rape matters were unsuitable at that age. Um, but I was doing it. I had a wonderful, uh, tutor, Angus Stewart, God bless him. Um, who is a canny Scot. 
he and I got on like a house on fire. Absolutely brilliant guy. Um, inspired me and uh, encouraged me, supported me. And at the end of that year, first year of A's, I got my law uh, passed first. And he just said, look, you're naturally good at this subject. Why don't you think about doing it at, at university? So in year two, I took on an A-level law. I taught myself um, with my other A-levels. And at, at the end of that, that's where I went. How did I keep the two together, though, Robert? And how do I still keep the two together? I can see my IT books there um, on my bookshelf. Um, is because I, I, I found that at the research level, I could then bring law and computing back, coding and all of that sort of stuff. So um, I, it's still very much in my life. But at the outset, I never thought I'd be a lawyer. Yeah. And well, thank you so much for, for, for sharing that. And I know you do have a love for, for tech and uh, it's great learning more about your, your background. And as I mentioned in the introduction, before you were called to Middle Temple, um, what was the bar like when you were called back then? Um, God, you make it sound like a bygone age, Robert. But I suppose <laughs> it was the last century, to be fair to you. It was the last century. Uh, can you move my Zimmer frame? I'm <laughs> um, sorry, you can't get these You just can't. Um, yeah, it, look, I've got to be honest, and, and that's the point of being here, Robert. You know, it, it, there's, I don't think there's been that great a change. And um, I remember when I came through the, the fears. Um, at that time, there was just a monopoly with the Inns of Court School of Law. Um, we were the first year that took a psychometric test which was the modernization of entry levels to be fair to everybody. And once we took that test, I'm happy to say I passed, um, people who'd got scholarships and pupillages didn't pass. And in the end, they threw the testing results away. So the bid for modernity in how people got to the bar uh, was shot straight away. Um, and the fears remained. I think, you know, could you get through? Was it worth funding it? Would you get pupillage? Um, those exist today. And we have many people that pass through the doors of chambers because, as you know, we, we, we support education and um, commitment to access, commitment to diversity, not because it's cool or trendy or it's a buzzword. We do it because I set up for business in 2003. So that all the things I saw at the beginning, Robert, which I still see today, there's another pathway, there's another approach, and that's very much... I think barristers trying to pull people up and, and offer them a different access point to the bar. Yeah. But no. on the whole, I, Robert, I haven't seen much change from when I was called. No, and I appreciate the, the the candidness of that. And this is like you say, the whole point of the the show is we're we're trying to educate and you know inform. And I, I want to sort of stick with you know your your journey because after being called to the bar, you built a very high profile commercial and transfer practice. And how difficult was that? And have you got any advice for those wanting to build a practice of a similar nature? Well, I'll give away my trade secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or is there a check in the post <laughs> or a PayPal on the way? Um, the, I, I think, listen, I, I mean, starting and being very, very truthful, um, I wake up every day and I am very proud uh, about the practice I have. I never expected it. 
um, and, and then to retain it for two decades um, means you're doing something right. And to retain clients for two decades means you're doing something right. Um, but not for a moment does it leave me that, you know, Crikey Lawrence, here you are in one Essex Street. If you threw a tangerine out of your front door, you'd hit the RCJ. You're in the heart of the legal district, really for me, for the whole world. You know, the Commonwealth knows our system, um, over a hundred countries, as you know, Robert. And we're right here. We're in the middle of it. Did you ever expect that when you were going to bar school? Absolutely not. I could have been anywhere. I may not have got a pupillage. There was so much uncertainty. Same with the practice. Um, you, you know, am I going to be in Portsmouth County Court the whole time or Norwich County Court or Guildford um, or Leeds or Manchester? Or am I going to be tangerine distance to the RCJ? You don't know. Um, how did I get there? I mean, it's one word. It's graft. It's graft. Um, look, we study, of course, but the study never ends in law. You can see the books, their constant burden of cash being spent. But Law moves on, Parliament makes new laws, regulations change, procedures change, each case is on a different set of evidential facts, um, and you're in an area where it's continually changing. Um, you have to graft, you have to stay with it, be true to yourself, uh, look after each client, never give one preference over another, give them your time, um, even though that will cost you sometimes your social life, your friends, um, things you want to do. But that shines through, I think. It, it, clients really pick up on it. They get the commitment. They get that you want to work for them, that you're not focused and money-driven, but you're focused on a results-driven basis to get the best um, for them. And on that basis, they then, in turn, will recommend you to other people, and so you begin the process of a network. You start with one point, as you're very familiar with, Robert, with your expertise. And then as you you perform and that translates, it moves across to other people and your network starts to grow. And then they say, look, I know you don't advertise, Lawrence, but, you know, I know you or can I come and see you? Um, and then that grows the commercial chancery practice and people um, trust you. And the other aspect just to graft as well is just having a grasp of commercial reality. So you're able to make value judgments financially on a cost benefit analysis. And on that basis, people come to you as well, because they know you're not just working to take money, you're working because you if there is a case, because it's merit based, not financial based for your own pocket. Yeah, no, I, I love how you're sort of empathizing there, the, the client care piece. And, you know, you always go above and beyond for your clients. And like you say, for over two decades to retain, you know, that's something to be celebrated because we see in the modern era with so much competition and, you know, loyalty, customer loyalty isn't what it used to be. So, yeah, I tip my hat to you for all that you've achieved. And, you know, as, as I mentioned before as well, you have now headed up the chambers at Whitestone for over 15 years successfully. You know, tell us more about why you took that particular career step and how you found it? Uh, well, that that is a, a, a story that would um, mean that even we'd get better rating than suits, uh, not Versace <laughs> or me. Um, and and I'm not so I can't go into it today. If people want to know, we'll do we'll we'll talk about the realities of the bar. But the long uh, story I can't deal with. The short story is uh, my then set of chambers. 
um, were in a, a breakdown situation. The seniors wanted to do something with white collar. The juniors were being heavily uh, bullied, uh, badly treated. People were being forced out. Um, it was a dreadful, dreadful thing to watch. Um, it was uh, humiliating for many junior members of, of Chambers. Um, and I basically got through that phase because I was making good money. And so I was put to one side and said, well, he doesn't appear to be a problem uh, one way or the other. But, it, you know, I, I reject that as as a working environment. I reject the bullying system, the fagging system that public school can introduce to the bar. I understand why it exists. I understand the history. I understand uh, Eton. Um, I understand Harrow. I understand Oxbridge. Um, but it doesn't mean I have to understand a system that I reject. I don't want to understand it. I think it's wrong. Uh, it, it is not something that should exist in the modern era. Um, it, it discriminates. It prevents people making their way. It is elitist and it controls you on, on the date you were called. And you're basically told, and I heard people told this, you know, for seven years, keep your mouth shut. Don't speak in a meeting. You know, for seven years, you can't do this type of work. And the only way I could get away from that was not to jump from frying pan to fire. The only way, and by the way, an incredibly naive way, was to set up a, a brand new organization. And with that, to bring a blank sheet of paper and say, okay, if you're going to do this, Lawrence, how are you going to do this? But don't start with a legacy system. Start anew and start with what your goals are. And the goals were one word, equality. Everyone's the same. And I accept I was naive and I accept that was a reaction to my environment for five years. But we do react to our environment. Um, was it knee jerk? I don't think so. I had to plan it. I had to finance it. I had to get permission from the honorable benches to get a contract at a very, very young age, which I was then <laughs> and um but i felt it was the right thing to do because this would create something where we would allow people to have a voice and grow and develop and go on to where they wanted to they wouldn't be under pressure they wouldn't be bullied to do work they didn't want to do they wouldn't have their control over their careers they would be free and at the same time my um requirement from them was a simple one that they would give up time for education and training that they would go to schools that they would talk to children and teenagers and universities and make sure that they understood that access uh, to the bar was available that we would be here to support future careers in law and and that was a very important part of the day-to-day -day life of chambers and i'm very proud that we were able to do it um Yes, it, again, I'd repeat this word. I was incredibly naive. Um, you know, we're not taught very well, Robert, about business and money. We're taught about law. But the journey has been a hell of an interesting one. What a roller coaster. Um, and a roller coaster it has been. And I'm still on that ride. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being so, so sort of, you know, open. And, you know, this is the, the, the reality, you know, folks to, to get to where you, you you've got, you know, it does take uh, an incredibly strong, you know, will and a way on top of obviously the academics and the understanding of the law. And I, I'm just sort of commending on all that you have achieved.
Time for a quick break from the show. Are you a legal aid practitioner in England and Wales, specializing in civil or criminal legal aid matters? If you are, this message is for you. As a legal aid solicitor, you don't have time to waste on legal aid case management software that doesn't work to your needs. That's why Clio has developed a quicker, more accurate and affordable solution for legal aid solicitors in England and Wales. It could save you hours in your month, particularly when it comes to end of month invoicing and claims to the legal aid agency. To see how it all works, visit clio.com forward slash UK forward slash legal aid. That's Clio, C-L-I-O dot com forward slash UK forward slash legal aid. Now back to the show. Then you've touched on previously as well that, you know, Whitestone Chambers recently moved. So now you're based at number one Essex Street, which is only two minutes walks, as you say, from the Royal Courts of Justice. Um, why did you make that decision to change the location? Pollution. Go on. <laughs> Uh, seriously, um, being in a temple for a very long time, I got tired of looking at the same curtains. They were wretched. Why didn't I change them? Because I'm a fool. <laughs> um, and I thought if I move building that I don't need to see those curtains again. I know it's drastic, but it's a solution, you know. And uh, in addition to that, Inner, God bless Inner, were going to build two stories on the hall. Um, it's something they could have done after the war when the bomb damage building was rebuilt. And it's going to be an excellent centre uh, for um, people who study at the Honourable Society there. Um, but behind us as well, uh, into um, Tudor Street, etc., and off Fleet Street, um, the City of London is going to build a massive, massive uh, new court system at put in the City of London Police, put in a cyber crimes unit, and that's a seven-year program. And I really felt that it, with those two construction projects, um, and this was the world pre-COVID, that I didn't want our quality of life to be connected to the amount of disruption, pollution yeah. uh, that would occur. I mean, you, you're taking down that huge space. Um noise, whatever. I, I think that's really important that when you're already doing a stressful job as you know, representing others going to court, maybe have a bullying judge, um, that you, you know, the, the actual work environment is as um, soporific as it can be. And so the move I thought it is now. Um, the practical side, Robert, was that Inner Temple served all us heads of chambers notice to quit and then gave us a new lease at the same time to reflect a, a price increase. So that was price sensitive too. And then the reason for One Essex Street is um, location, location, location. You know, we share a building with Brick Court Chambers, but we don't share the same number of silks. So how can we afford to be here? Um, that speaks out to our clients. Anyone with the commercial world would say, well, look, if you can be in that location, in that premises, um, you're clearly doing something right financially. Um, so that was part of coming across, uh, and I think they were the right reasons. Sadly, it was top of the market. Great. Well done, Lawrence. <laughs> and then we moved over in, got the keys of the door on the 6th of January, 2020. Yes, folks, 2020, January, something would, had already happened in a wet market somewhere. Um, and 
we, you know, Robert here, uh, Alex who worked with us at that time, I mean, we'd be coming over here in our suits and carrying in tons of marble, porcelain, uh, slate. We'd be working with so many people to get this premises ready for March. And we did. We opened our doors March the 16th. And that afternoon, my fellow Middle Templar, Boris Johnson, said, uh, if you can, work from home. And within a week, we had lockdown one. And um, I mean, you couldn't time it better to be a disaster in moving into premises with the amount of funding and work that was done. And then suddenly it's like we can't utilize the premises um, for give or take a, a very, very long time. I mean, five months before I saw Robert again. But within a few days, we were labeled key workers. So I came in, Robert, um, because I just wanted to use the premises when you paid so much money and put so much of your own passion into it um, and design and creativity. Uh, you really want to utilize the premises. But I can honestly say I've only used the oven twice. <laughs> well, good. Good for you. Well, um, stick to the law, maybe not the cooking. So, you know, sticking with um, Whitestone Chambers, you know, what inspires you to continue growing the practice and the, the chambers? I think because whatever ideas I had back in 03, et cetera, about what we do, I don't think any of that has reached fruition. Um, and uh, I still have the energy and the motivation that we, we keep taking small steps for moving forward um, with how we deal with people coming to the bar and that it's not something that they're afraid to take that risk with their education. And so that means that chambers will continue to grow, but we have to adapt. We have to change. We have to modernize. And um, also another thing that we're looking at is being sustainable, bringing sustainability to the law. And I'm, I'm going to introduce that as a new thing that I've never really looked at beyond being green because being green isn't being sustainable. So that's a new thing to bring to the party. But why you know people ask me robert why is that important to you lawrence you know why don't you just go and make money you know you're at a stage in your career you've got a fantastic client list just go and make money um and it's about well i'm, I'm not that way inclined i think um you know what we do is is create opportunity and maybe i should be more ruthless um and it should just be about oneself particularly when you're self-employed um, but we're not like that here, and we employ people and hire people here who are not like that as well, so that we can, can as I said, open our doors, make this space, this location available to kids and teenagers all around the country and bring them in. Why? Because most of the judiciary making the big decisions in our country, Robert, are drawn from the bar. Mm -hmm. So if the bar is not diverse, if the bar does not reflect average people with average hopes, average understanding, average concept, average knowledge, um, albeit wrapped up with law degrees and qualifications, but people who are grounded, who understand the street, then where does our judiciary go? And as the bar contracts and COVID hasn't helped, as it becomes more elite, one could just look at the figures, right, that have been released by the BSB, the BC, as you bar council, sorry, as you look back, look how little they've changed from when I was called in 95. There is a reason that, that we need people and chambers like us that keep saying 
to the youngsters come through because you're the future of the judiciary and we want that judiciary to reflect us as a country and and that is important and i think that is worth giving up um your own personal aspirations for um i think that is a worthwhile cause and we do do that and we i mean last week we two weeks we had year 12 14 year olds in we had three of them in it was remarkable interesting um i learn a great deal as well they learn a great deal uh, i understand how rap tubes youtube rap <laughs> videos now work. you can cut and edit those and i was invited to do some um and the interaction is also valuable to us that's why we continue because we don't get stale yeah we don't get set in our ways yep we disrupt ourselves yeah i love it yeah when you get the kids in that's a serious piece of disruption going on they've got my laptop <laughs> and they're watching you i'm meant to be doing something with the core um and and that keeps us fresh and that keeps us energized and that keeps us forward focused as well yeah and i just love your overall sort of you know commitment to learning you know the whole 360 perspective of learning from those beneath around above you and you know the whole inclusive you know nature of, of what you do um i think it's fantastic and, and with that what would be your advice to any of our listeners who are interested or maybe aspiring to grow a high profile practice like yours or even become a head of chambers in the future <laughs> don't become head of chambers <laughs> no 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 um Every head of chambers would say that, by the way, <laughs> or when we all get together and say, look at me and say, how many years have you been head of chambers? Like, what? <laughs> you know, um, it's tough. And I, let me just explain that, though, Robert. It's because whenever you do work as a head of chambers, it's basically for free. Yeah. And you're doing regulatory work and um, you have to look after everyone else. You are jointly responsible for other people who are self-employed if they mess up. Um, you you're have support structures, etc. Um, if you're very wealthy and um, being a head of chambers is fine because I think you you know you're going to lose a lot of billable hours. Uh, if you're me, you're just crackers, and if you keep doing, you're clearly certifiable. So I, I, I wouldn't you know think long and hard before thinking about actually uh, a head of chambers role. Um, but as regards to coming through, it's I think there is a world now of new opportunity for barristers and for lawyers and on because of what's happened in the last few years technology was already on the up uh court service was already introducing you know electronic filing throughout um and then we went to remote hearings and electronic hearings it means that you can be far more flexible where you work um and in addition to that, regulatory reform in the United Kingdom means that we are the most deregulated legal system on earth. And that's to be cherished. I know my international cousins think we're bonkers because they're more protectionist. But competition is that. It's competition. It allows opportunity. And one should seek it out. It doesn't just land in your lap. Otherwise, everyone would be a millionaire. We'd all have money trees. You know, you've got to graft. It's back to that word. But if you seek it out, you will find it. And if you're committed, you work hard, you're focused. Um, now is a great time for law. Now is a great time for barristers. You can access any client on planet Earth. 
um, which we couldn't do when I started. Um, we had to have another lawyer in the room, a solicitor. So the reforms are there deliberately. Government introduced them to level the playing field to make us more financially accessible to clients. And um, the Jackson reforms in controlling costs and litigation costs have worked very well, in my view. And education is more broad than ever. You know, there's no monopoly anymore at bar school. There are more places to study. Um, so it's certainly a great time to come through and be a lawyer, whether commercial or crime, family, immigration, whatever floats your boat um, or a mixture of the above. Uh, but certainly do think about the profession. It's very rewarding. And certainly being a barrister is very rewarding too. Um, not only for the law and the leadership you provide to your clients, but also just the basic thing of being self-employed. Yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. And uh, again, I love how you, you sort of share so many, so many good pieces of wisdom that people should definitely be, be sort of tuning into. And um, on that, I want to, to sort of grind out a little bit more from you because, you know, the, the pupillage gateway recently closed. So have you got any tips for those who have faced rejections during the application process or interview process? And maybe any tips for people looking to apply next year as well? Yeah, I mean, first of all, every, <laughs> funny you mentioned that, Robert. I was just saying, you know, we, we're, we're going through all of our applications right now. Um, and <clears throat> I'm a veteran of dealing with them, a veteran pupil master, really. Um, and I know that we spend a great deal of time reading everything. Um, we don't uh, prejudge people. I know other sets of chambers have like a rubric where they'll say, if you go to this university, you score so many points. If you did this, you score so many points. We will not do that ever. Everyone's entitled to a fair shout wherever they studied, whatever their background, by what they drafted when they filed in an application. So number one, when you put your application together, um, think about some basic things like language, grammar, and punctuation. We are meant to be specialists in not just wordsmiths, but um, in drafting, not vocally, uh, orally, but also written advocacy as it's now uh, coined. So I find that these things are missed. I'm, I'm, I'm sometimes very, very staggered at how poor um, some things are drafted because it's detail that really matters in this job as the expression goes, the devil's in the detail. And in law, you know, winning and losing cases is sometimes in the detail. You need um, to be very, very disciplined. And I, I find that that's quite lacking in a lot of applications. So that's number one. Number two, talk about yourself in your cover letter. Tell us about you. Do not be vanilla. Um, not interested in that. I, I think all of us, and I don't speak for Lawrence or Whitestone, I speak for the bar as a whole. Uh, we want to hear your voice. Um, and when you are only first applying on paper, you've got to project your voice through your written um, style and what you say and do that. So think of that cover letter as you speaking out. Don't think of a letter as a letter anymore. Um, think of it as you and your script as if you're about to go on the, the, the stage at the theater and present yourself by reading that document. So bring that fresh approach to how you present yourself. Uh, and number three, I think that what you should do if you can is get the experience. So if you've been rejected, um, how far feedback goes, 
I don't really know because it's difficult to get good feedback with people being so busy. But what I can say in all the, the applications, the thousands of applications and the thousands of interviews I've uh, conducted is go away if you've been rejected. Do not get downhearted. Nothing gets done first time all the time. In fact, if you look at the stats, most things don't get done first time. It's actually third or fourth time. In fact, I was just reading some financial documents yesterday um, on sustainability leadership that, you know, something like 80% of all startups fail, um, 95% in the restaurant industry. But so we, we should ha have a culture where we understand failure isn't a bad thing. Failure is a positive thing. Failure makes you stronger because you're able to analyze the aspects that didn't work, a system analysis. Look at your application. Say, why do I think it didn't work? And one of the things you can do to address failure is improvement. And that improvement can be as simple as this, which is get experience. Go and do pro bono. Go and spend a day in, in uh, you know, uh, citizens' advice or a week. Come to chambers. Do mini pupillages. But to do all of this, you've got to apply. I know a lot of people say, oh, but there's no point, Lawrence. I'll never get in. There's no point. It's like, well, that's defeatist. That's already your failure. So address that failure. It's an easy one, which is just give yourself a couple of hours, get yourself a pot of tea, and then start writing, start typing, start licking stamps, start emailing. Um, it's easier now than ever before that you can reach out. And yes, you may only have a success rate of 20%, like all business startups in the commercial world. But why are we any different as human beings to a commercial startup? So it's it's understanding for me, and this is a really big one, Robert, that failure is not bad. In fact, in many ways, failure in, in the average person's diet is a good thing to ingest and understand. It's a good nutrient. Absolutely agree. And I always say rejection is just redirection. I love how you, um, you just sort of described that and giving people hope that, you know, failure is just all part of the process. So before we, we look to, to wrap up, Lawrence, I said from the outset, you recently won the Gen Z award for supporter of the year due to your commitment to helping young people. You also feature on webinars often. So you recently featured on one focusing on business end of being a barrister. So can you tell our listeners more about the business side of the bar? Very much so. Um, well, I mean, why firstly, very briefly, I feature on these things is I realized through the pandemic that by doing what we're doing right now, you're able to give access. Um, and it may be 50 or 60. Yes, I mean, I can still travel to a university, which is what I used to do from like 1998 and go out to places. Um, but we all have the tech now, so there's no reason to feel any guilt that, well, I've got a webcam and laptop. I think that has changed a lot. And, and so I feel much more comfortable in reaching out this way, not worried whether that creates a gap between those who have internet and broadband or cameras and laptops to those who don't. Um, so that's made the change. Business of a barrister, well, Primarily, we're all self-employed. There is the employed bar. If you want to go and work at Google, Apple, IBM, BT, those are jobs where you will get paid at the end of the month. PAYE, you'll get your pay slip, you'll get a check, you'll have national insurance deducted, um, and then you'll moan and go down the pub um, and complain that how much tax you're paying. Um, 
hey, everyone in PAYE is clapping and saying, Lawrence, he's telling the truth. Now, on the other hand, self-employed, you complete self-assessment at the end of 12 months. You fill in forms at the end of January and file them and you file accounts. And on that, you look at your expenditure, you look at your income, you look at what is deductible, and then you will look at paying whatever tax in two tranches, two slices during the year, one in January, one in July. Um, it requires discipline of keeping money aside. With PAYE, if you were, say, an employed barrister, all your tax is covered. But with us, you need to make sure that you keep money to one side so that when the tax bill comes, you can pay it. There's also the difference with value-added tax, VAT. You'll be VAT registered. That means on top of your charge, if you charge £100 an hour, you will have to charge another £20 VAT, 20%. You collect that money for the government and you pay that to the government give or take offsetting uh, input and output tax. I'll just leave it there for the minute. That's another thing for another day. But finally, and more importantly, I think, is outside self-employment taxation, there's the way you market and do business. Uh, and in the world we live in now, it, there's very much important for everyone listening to this, think about your digital footprint, um, not your carbon footprint, but your digital footprint. Think about your carbon one, decarbonize. But with your electronic position, start to think, how do I place myself? LinkedIn, other groups, other networks. Um, even I would suggest very strongly, I think the time is here that everyone has their own individual website. Um, it's cheap enough to do. Um, you know, A lot of web companies will do it for you. And that is also the business of a barrister. I think when I started, Robert, um, we were not allowed to advertise. And I remember people going off and doing that and advertising um, it change. But now I think that culture is gone. Um, the rules have changed. We can advertise. I personally don't, and I don't have a personal website. But I think in talking to people like you, knowing what you do and looking at the marketplace and the changes in the last 24 months, I very much think that is also another part of the business of being a barrister is saying, look at the changes in the traditional rules, which were very, very old fashioned, you know, no advertising, you can't handle money, uh, etc. to moving to a system where we have modernity, and we do actually self promote. And that I think is another part of the business, um, understanding digital media and digital marketing. Yeah, and what a, what a great way to to sort of conclude the podcast because yeah, I couldn't agree more. We're in this uh, this creator economy now. We're moving from the economic to the creator economy, where people should be looking to embrace across all of these different industries uh, a way of creating a personal brand. And I love the concept of having your own website as well, and yeah, just showcasing all of your your great work. So Lawrence, it's been an absolute pleasure hosting you on the uh, Legally Speaking podcast today. Wishing you and all involved at Whitestone Chambers lots of continued success and all your future pursuits but from all of us now on the show over and out this week's review comes from connor c great for law students my friend angie told me about the podcast and since then i've been hooked thank you so much for your lovely kind words connor we really appreciate you from all of us on the legally speaking podcast team thanks a million